Welcome to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Visit heartstrong.life forward slash login to access the notes from today and all the benefits of our membership community. One to the two and two to the three. Let the world see the Holy Trinity. Let's become HeartStrong Disciples of Jesus together. All right, so we're talking about Joshua here, and Joshua deals with a monumental moment in their relationship with God, with our relationship with God. And after covenanting with Abraham to build a nation and to give that nation a homeland, that's what God had done for them. They had found themselves then enslaved in Egypt. We've just gone through this in the last couple of months, right? They've been there for 400 years. And now Moses has led them out of slavery and God has begun to shake off all the cultural trappings that they had adopted over the centuries uh, to create a nation unto himself. God has made Israel his possession. He has given Israel the law in, in order to guide Israel in her relationship with God and others. And Israel has now embraced this. God is now fulfilling his word to give them a promised land. So again, God has made Israel his possession, and now he's giving Israel her possession, which I think is a, a very beautiful expression of seeing that covenant fulfilled when you think of it that way. Joshua, we can split it into three parts, the book. The first part will be taking the land, which is chapters 1 to 12. The second part will be dividing the land in chapters 13 to 22. And then the third part would be Joshua's death and uh, renewing the covenant with the people of Israel at that time. So since early May in Heartstrong, I think probably like somewhere May 10th or 12th, somewhere in there, Heartstrong has been focused on a 40-year span, a 40-year time span since that's it, from March 10th or 12th. That's all we've looked at is 40 years. Through all those different books that we've gone through from Exodus chapter four, all the way to Joshua, it's only been 40 years. Not a lot of time, but a lot of, a lot of pages of scripture, which is pretty amazing. They left, they left Egypt and their 11 day journey grew into a 40 year journey where a new generation would possess the land. Only Joshua and Caleb would survive due to their trust in God when they had spied out the land. And Joshua had lived in the shadows of his leader and mentor Moses for 40 years, but he had been set apart for God's leadership. We see that in Numbers 27, 18. Joshua now takes over for Moses after Moses died. He has been trained for this. We can see it throughout the scriptures and little tidbits. We, we find that he has been, he has been, groomed for this moment we see in exodus 33 that he had spent time in the tent of meeting even after moses left he just spent time with god he went up the mountain at least partially up the mountain with moses when moses would go up to meet with god we see that in exodus 24 we see that he led the armies against the amalekites in exodus 17 
So he's trained in battle. He spied on the promised land on the promised land the first time. You see that in Numbers 13. So you can see that he spent time with God. He uh, was trained in militarily, and he was serving Moses daily. And so we know that he'd be a prime candidate for being able to take over Moses' leadership when Moses passed away. He was equipped in all ways to, to be the successor of Moses. Um, and he was equipped to finish the job that Moses had been given responsibility to, but was not able to finish, leading them into the promised land. All right, so chapter one uh, is the transition of authority from Moses to uh, Joshua. From first one, we see the Lord speaking to Joshua similarly to the way he spoke to Moses. Yet we notice Moses is still granted that esteemed title, servant of the Lord. This is a very special title, and it's a vulnerable term for him. Joshua continues to be called Moses' assistant. Not until the end of the book, at his death, in verse 20, chapter 24, verse 29, does he gain the, the title servant of the Lord. Verse 2, God repeats his promise to Mo, to, that he gave to Moses, that where the feet tread, they, that will be their land. Wherever your souls touch, that will be the land I give you. And as, as, uh, as he goes, God will go with him, just as he went with Moses. He will not leave him nor forsake him. That's a verse that we often take for ourselves too, right? He will not leave us or forsake us. Verse 6 sums up pretty much the whole book of Joshua. Be strong and courageous because you'll be inheriting the land promised to your forefathers. That is back, basically what Joshua is all about. Being strong and courageous and inheriting the land promised to their forefathers. Then in the rest of verse 6 to 9, whether Joshua was tentative uh, in stepping in to the range uh, or to, into the rather large sandals of Moses, or if it's written declaratively, uh, God says to Joshua three times, be strong and courageous or very courageous. Repeating it three times is significant, and that always indicates an importance in the Bible, something that God wants him to pay attention to. But there's three things attached to what he's told to be strong and courageous about. And the first one is this, be strong because you are going to take a nation and drive out other nations in, that are in your own land. Number two, be strong because you are going to take the law Moses just wrote, Deuteronomy, and you're going to implement it as culture and life for the nation of Israel. And you cannot misstep to the right or to the left. Your success will depend on you following the law. And the third one was be strong. God has commanded it and God is with you through it all. So you can see there, every time he's encouraged to be strong, it's a monumental task, a task that any one of us probably would say, find somebody else. You want me to lead a whole nation and take over and conquer other lands? You want me to be the person who has to implement for an entire nation your holy scripture and following all the rules in it perfectly? Those are big tasks. He was 80 when he started this. Those are big tasks. So be strong and courageous. And it's, it's noticeable that we should, when we use those words, be strong and courageous, that we don't take it and 
use it lightheartedly or use it for things that maybe we think are important that aren't actually what God asks us to do. Being strong and courageous is about what God wants us to do. Those were specific things that God had tasked him for, and they were things that he was going to need to be strong and courageous for. We can't just make up what we want to be strong and courageous for and then claim that verse for it. It really needs to be something that we hear from God that is something that we say, you want me to do what? And then we step out in boldness and in courage and in strength. All right. So my question here for you is this. What is God asking you specifically that requires you to be strong and courageous? It's your first contemplative question for today. What is it that God is asking of you specifically that requires you to be strong and courageous? In verse 10 to 11, now Joseph is the new sheriff in town here. He puts on the badge on his chest and the guns at his side, and he's he's walking down Main Street now. He's in charge. The first thing he does is he gets all those that are with him, the leaders that are with him, to go through and tell everybody that they're riding out in three days. I know, I just turned it into a Western. But three days, they were turning and going into the, the promised land. In 12 to 15, Joshua reminds the three tribes, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, to honor their word. Because Moses had actually given them land on this side of the river. They didn't need to cross the Jordan to, to, to claim their inheritance. They're already there. But he says, listen, you promised that when we got to the promised land, you would come and fight and open up the promised land for all of Israel. And so he asks them to honor that promise. In verse 16 to 18, as would be common in this era, the leaders pledged their allegiance to their new leader. As a new king would come or a new leader would come, what they had pledged to the old leader was now needed to be pledged to the new leader. As they did with Moses, so they will with Joshua. And from their own mouth, it's under penalty of death for disobeying. Whether they meant it as a condition or as an encouragement, they repeat that call for strength and courage. That is chapter one of Joshua. The transition of leadership. Next, in chapter two, comes preparing to enter. Spies in the land is what I'd call it. Preparing to enter, spies in the land. Verse one, reminiscent of his own spying, uh, Joshua sends spies into the land to scope it out. And he says it more broadly. If you pay attention to the words, he says, go into the land and spy it, especially Jericho. So they weren't only spying out uh, Jericho. They went in to see a lot, went in to see what was going on. But specifically, Jericho was on his mind because that was going to be the first stronghold that they would come across where they were crossing the Jordan. This time, it's only two people going. It's not, it's not a whole group. It's only two. It's in secret. Uh, maybe he doesn't want a repeat of the last one where a bad report comes back and it like, it gets spread through the whole the whole nation that it's going to be hard and we're going to get killed or something like that. Um, he doesn't want to lead to another 40-year detour, but he only sends two. He does it in secret. And the reason why we know it'd be in secret is because when you're spying at a land, you're always doing that in secret in the land you're going to. So to mention that you're spying in secret means nobody that in your own group knows what you're doing. For verse uh, 
following for that verse one to seven in the bizarre plot twist, the spies are found because they probably stood out as these nomadic wanderers versus people who had been living in the land uh, their entire lives. And the king closes in on their location. Rahab, the woman whose house they're in, is a prostitute, which would probably be the only place they could potentially have been seen uh, as a safe place to stay. Her business wouldn't be picky uh, regarding its customers. She, though, instead of looking for some material gain out of them and turning them over and telling the king, hey, I got where they're at. Where's my reward for having these guys for you? She hides them and she lies about uh, them leaving. She then shows a depth of understanding uh, that is quite remarkable. It's a depth of theological understanding about God's people. She knows that God has given them the land. She recognizes the fear that has gripped all the inhabitants of the land. They know what God has done at the Red Sea into the kings that opposed them and the cities that they destroyed along the way. She recognizes that this isn't just a petty God. This isn't just a petty neighboring God where that would fight and have little battles with. This is the God of the heavens and the earth. Amazing. That's what's known and articulated from this prostitute woman within the walls of Jericho. Verse 8 to 22, as we move along, because she saved them, she wants an assurance that her family will not be killed uh, when Israel comes to Jericho. That's all she's looking for. Just save us. Like, you're coming in. You're going to defeat us. You've, you've utterly destroyed everybody that's been in your path. When you come to Jericho and you bring destruction, just save us. Don't let us die. And they agree to a deal, but it has three conditions. Everyone will stay in the house. Everyone is to keep it secret what's about to happen. And she needs to keep the scarlet cord in her window. Probably they had no clue as to what was about to happen and how God was going to give them victory. They didn't have plans yet as far as march around the city of Jericho or anything like that. So they probably are thinking that there was going to be hand-to-hand combat throughout the city, going from house to house, you know, getting people out and, 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 and like bringing their way through the city. So they wanted that scarlet cord in the window to know when they got to that house, that was a house to keep safe. And they needed to stay in the house because the warfare would be going outside. And to an extent, that would have taken place, even though the walls had been crumbled down. Bible, even from its earliest moments, puts traditional thinking and the ways of humanity on its ear, doesn't it? It's a woman who saves them. It's a prostitute woman who saves them. It's a Gentile prostitute woman who saves them. It's a Gentile prostitute woman bound to destruction by God that saves them. A woman who we'll see isn't just saved from destruction, but who God weaves into the fabric of Israel and even into Jesus's genealogy. That's amazing that God would do that. And it speaks to the redemptive qualities of who God is and what his people are to bring. Remember, God said, when you go into the land, you're supposed to clean it all out. No one left standing. And yet the very first thing we see here is somebody who's grafted into the nation. Somebody who is 
we'll see later on becomes a part of Jesus' genealogy. It sort of kind of softens the blow of when we think of God and we think of his uh, his his um, harsh treatment of the people of the region. When the very first thing he does is offer them acceptance into his family. The question here is, what space are you giving God for to move outside your comfort zone? This was a woman, a prostitute woman, who was bringing salvation or saving these people. Oftentimes, we expect God to move in certain ways. We expect him to follow a certain pattern. But sometimes God wants to just throw our patterns on our ear and deliver something to us from an unexpected source, from somebody that from the outside wouldn't look qualified to be able to bring God's word or God's salvation or something with clarity. And so today our, our challenging question from this is, what space are you giving for God to move outside of your comfort zone? Can God only move in the ways you expect him to? through whom you expect them to be a challenging question. From there, we move into verses 23 and 24. The men returned to Joshua and report what was happened, exclaiming, truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Because of us. It's an interesting phrase. Because they were the possession of God. So far, they've done nothing. So far, all their battles have been won by God. They haven't really done anything. Even when Joshua was fighting, it was only because arms held up by Aaron and Hur that they were being successful. Because of us is, is a term that they may have seen in their own strength, but really was because of God's strength in them. It was because they were God's possession. It was because they were submitted to the leading and the power of God in them and through them. So a third question could be for you is this. What will melt away because of you? Because of the God you serve. Because you're being strong and courageous and not being frightened and dismayed. Because God is with you wherever you go. What is melting away because of you? It's powerful. When we look through these two chapters, we can see that Israel has gone from a place of wandering in the desert, a place of circling in the desert, to a, a moment and, and, and a crux of a moment of them radically shifting how they do things. It is an exciting moment for them. And I know we're... We don't really, um, chapter three isn't really a part of today's uh, lesson, but I wanted to touch on it um, as it, it is for tomorrow. Israel is going to, is going to lead, going to cross into, um, is going to cross into, cross the Jordan River um, in, our, in our scripture tomorrow. They're going to cross the water. And the water is going to be swollen at this time of the year. This is around their harvest time. And at that time of year, the, um, the river would be much, much larger than it normally would be. Normally, it may be three to 10 feet deep, uh, 100 feet wide. It's nothing, nothing really crazy. 
But at this time, this is like floodplain level. It's massive. It's much deeper, much wider, and much faster. It would much more resemble uh, a crossing of the Dead Sea or the Red Sea than, than it would just a small stream. They follow the Ark of the Covenant through that water. They have to stay 800 meters behind it in order to allow it to, to lead them and guide them. And it's just as they step into the water that the water starts to, to stop and move. It doesn't happen with the striking of a rock. It doesn't happen with the calling out of, of the leader. It's as the people and as the ark step into the water that the waters stop and create that dry space for them to move. The ark stays in the middle of the water as they all pass through and go to the other side. Their inheritance begins with that moment. They're crossing over from their wandering and into the promised land. And they're about to face challenges they've never faced before. They're about to work at uh, following God in a new way that they've never done before. And it's going to be absolutely awesome. All right. That is our two chapters today. They're pretty, pretty awesome. I'm just going to pray and then we'll we'll dismiss anybody who needs to to leave um, and then and then we'll open up our discussion about these these two chapters. God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that um, you do call us to moments to be strong and courageous, but you never leave us in those moments. We really truly do go in the strength that you give us. And our courage comes because you're with us every step of the way. And that in reality, it's just our obedience that you're looking for. Because you're going to do what you're going to do. And I just thank you for that. And so God, I just pray that uh, when we face things today, that you would, you would say those, have those same words resonate in us. Be strong, be courageous. And God, may we look for you to speak to us in ways that we might not expect. May we be open to uh, hearing truth from places that, um, that we wouldn't expect it, that challenge us to, to see that, that your plan is bigger than, than we may have thought it was. God, may we consider how we can live a life that, that has, uh, has darkness melt away in front of us and has your righteousness and your, your kingdom come as we make our way through life. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. A heartstrong disciple of Jesus is one who has been saved by grace and is becoming more like Jesus by abiding in him, learning how Jesus lived, and following in his ways. One of the ways we are helping you become heartstrong is through the monthly training plan which breaks down how you can practice and develop your spiritual disciplines. Each month, you will find the theme and the focus for the month, a scripture to memorize, a fasting and a Sabbath practice, all of your Bible study, events and schedules and links, questions for personal reflection, and additional recommended content for the weekend. Of course, you have to be a HeartStrong member to access this awesome resource. So visit heartstrong.life and click membership to join.
Let's become heartstrong disciples together. One, two, three.